if you're keeping track or counting, 67 verses of Genesis. That's what Jonah, Jonah, thank you for reading all of that to us. Man, I, as a pastor, if if you're getting to know me, I'm really convinced that what the church needs is a careful walk through the story of Scripture verse by verse. That's what disciples us. That's what draws us in to see Jesus. That what strengthens us to walk this life into the new heavens and new earth. And this morning, if you didn't know that about me, now you know. I'm willing to go through every single verse with you. And Genesis 24 is one huge picture, one story that we have to cover together. Kimmy said, I said to Kimmy this week, 67 verses. And she goes, maybe you should break it in half. (laughs) And I just said, there's no way. I tried. I tried, church. There's no way. So as my mentor always said when he got to a big passage, he said, do you have your running shoes on? Because we have to go through this passage together. I am going to leave some verses out. That's why I had Jonah read it all. is So that we we heard it all. But I'm going to take some sections out. And you'll just have to remember what you read. And it's in your liturgy. It's in your Holy Scripture. Grab your Bible. Let's go. Here's the question. What does the covenant... The covenant that God has made with Abraham. The promise to bring blessing to all nations... Through the child, through the promise of what? Offspring. How will the covenant progress from here since Sarah died? What happens next in the story? That's what Genesis 24 tells us. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Like I just said, Sarah, the mother of Isaac, the matriarch of the people of God, died. And now Abraham is old. How old? Well, he's, he's well advanced in years. This means he is coming to the end of his life. Guess what the next section of Genesis is? The death of Abraham. This is the last moment of Abraham's life. He's well advanced in years. He's nearing the end of his life. He has been blessed by God. We know he's been blessed through material means and possessions. But more than that, I've told you this in church, when we're done studying Genesis, I want you to know this. Blessing in the book of Genesis is about knowing God. It's about being in relationship with, it's about dwelling with God. That's what blessing is in Genesis. And Abraham has known God. He has spoken with God. He has followed God. God has worked miracles. God has rescued him when he's gotten into trouble. He has been blessed by God. And he has promised to extend that blessing to how many nations? All nations. So with the death of Sarah in the background and the death of Abraham looming, the reader, you, church, we have to wonder what happens next in the covenant. How does it move forward from here? Yes, there is a child, Isaac, but one son is a far cry from, Abraham means the father of what? Nations, the father of nations. Isaac, is he does not make up nations, right? So we're wondering, how does this all work out? And Abraham's wondering the same thing as well. What's going to happen from here? Look at verse 2. And Abraham, I'm going to go fast, so... 
Keep up. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son, Isaac. Abraham is essentially on his way to his deathbed, if not already laying there. And he is also thinking about the covenant. We have a predicament because my son is a bachelor. How will there be more children for me and Sarah, more great-grandchildren and eventually nations if Isaac is single? we got to get this man a wife. And in this culture, the husband, the father is responsible for arranging marriages. So he needs to get Isaac a wife. And so he tells his servant, the whole thing about the thigh, that's just a way of uh, confirming an oath in that time. It's like you might, today you might pinky, pinky promise, okay? Back then it was a hand under the thigh promise, okay? And then here's what the question is. Don't take a wife from Canaan. From here. Why would he say that? Most specifically, in Genesis 9, 24, Canaan is the son of Ham, who's the son of who? Noah. Noah, that's right. And Ham shamed his father. You remember this? We studied it a year ago. He shamed his father because of you know, all these things. And you can go back and read it. So in punishment, God said Canaan's lineage, Ham's son's lineage would be cursed. And so Abraham's like, man, I don't want a wife from the cursed lineage. How about Shem's lineage, which Abraham belongs to? And God said, I will bless Shem. And from Shem came Abraham. And from Abraham will come Christ. So the Shem lineage is important to Abraham. So he says, go back where they live and get a wife there. Does that make sense? Yes, okay. Verse 5. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may, may not, just may not, be willing me to follow me to this land to marry a guy she's never met or talked to or known. They've never even chatted on the, like, they don't know each other at all. Maybe she won't come with me. That seems reasonable, right? Uh, like, must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Do you see that? He, he's willing, the servant's willing to make the oath, but there's a possible problem would a family give up their daughter to a son they don't know? I mean, can you really expect me to be like, I'm going to set up a blind date for you, and it's going to take days and days and days to get there. But when you get there, when you meet him, it's not just a blind, it's a blind wedding, and you're going to marry this guy. And so he's saying, what if that happens? Do I then bring your son back and be like, here he is. Look how handsome he is and how nice he is. And he has this career and he can support you. And then maybe that's his question. So verse six, what does Abraham think about that? Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. 
the Lord, Yahweh, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But on the off chance, she's not willing. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Then he says again, only you must not take my son back there. Abraham believes that God is working in his family. He has seen God's work. He believes that God is doing something in this land of Canaan to bring about a dwelling place for God and man to restore God and man together. And so he says, no, he cannot go back there. It's important that Isaac has a wife. But what's more important? Jesus is more important. What else is more important here in the passage? that he doesn't go back there. That's the most important thing. Don't let him go back there. This is the, these are the last words Abraham says in the Bible. The last we hear from Abraham. The next thing we hear about Abraham, he died. This is his last will and testament. And it begins, the beginning is, don't take him back there. The end of his last will and testament, what does he say? Don't take him back. That's what's important to Abraham at this moment. Back there in Haran, before the calling of God, before the covenant of God, before the promises of God, before relationship with God, before knowing God, back there in Haran, that's that place where before Abraham knew God, they must settle, God, Abraham's family must settle into a covenant relationship with God by trusting in his promises that will be fulfilled in the land of Canaan. Don't let Isaac go there. The blessing depends on it. Listen, the blessing depends on Isaac staying in Canaan. Okay, so here in these first eight verses, we find what I'm calling three needs for the covenant to progress forward. Three needs for the covenant to progress forward. The first need is someone needs a wife. Abraham has to get Isaac a wife because the blessing will come through the offspring of a woman. And so this covenant has to progress for children to be born until it's fulfilled through some child. Maybe we read about in the New Testament. So it depends. Isaac needs to bear a son. He needs a wife to bear a son for him. That's the first need. Here, as we go on, a second need becomes clear. Abraham needs a servant to go for him. Abraham needs a servant to go before him, to go get us, uh, the wife for him because he's old and well advanced in years. Look at verse 9. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of the master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, the city of Nahor. He's willing to go. His big question is resolved. If the woman isn't willing to come back, the Lord is going to go before, but she has to be willing. And if she's not, I'm out of the oath. I'm willing to go. And Abraham said, go. Here it says he went. Okay. Verse 11. 
And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well, the well of water. It's interesting, wells are often connected in Scripture to marriages. Go to the well of water at the time of everything. Water at the time uh, of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. It's like a... It's online dating before online. You go to the well, and these women come, and you get to know, you mingle, and you see who's going to be a good fit. And that's not true. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant to me success today, and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I'll water your camels. Let her be the one uh, of whom you have appointed for my servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. It's a beautiful prayer in Scripture. If you take notes, you might mark, this is the very first prayer for guidance in Scripture. The very first time someone says, God, help me in this specific situation. It's beautiful. The servant, he's in a foreign land. He, he doesn't know who Abraham's kinsmen are. He could go door to door. Or he could, at this point, trust in God's steadfast love. That word steadfast love, it's Hebrew hesed. We've talked about this before. Four times in the passage, it's going to appear. Hesed, Hesed, we translate steadfast love. And it's covenant love. Steadfast love, Hesed, is this love that you show to someone through commitment. It's when you tell someone, no matter what, I will obligate myself to keep these promises and I'll never stop keeping these promises. It's, it's the love that we show our husband, husbands show wives in their marriage ceremony when we say, no matter what, I'm not going to leave. That's the kind of love that God has shown Abraham. God has said, I obligate myself to bless you. And I'm going to do it. And I'm going to be faithful to it. And the servant knows that God has hesed. And so he says, God, the covenant is on the line. We need, a, we need a wife for Isaac. You have to help. Please help God. Show us your steadfast love again. If you ever want to remind yourself of the steadfast love of God, that he always keeps his promises, we look to the cross. But here, the servant, he leans on the steadfast love of God, and he says, the woman who comes and shows hospitality, gives me a drink of water and gives my camels a drink of water, let her be the one. So to the servant, hospitality is more important than beauty. Let the one who's hospitable, it's beautiful. Verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. At this point, only we know that she's related to Abraham. The the, uh, servant, he has no idea. But we know that even before he's done praying, even before he's done praying, Who is working? God is working. God has sent kinsmen to him at this well. 
Verse 16, the young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. It's important that she's not known a man because the promise pertains to what? Offspring, children, through Isaac. She needs to know Isaac, not another guy. Does that make sense? And it tells us about her beauty. She's beautiful. Can you think of another woman in Scripture who is just astonishing, even into her 90s, beyond the Scripture? Sarah. Right? So beautiful it got her into trouble. And now here's this beautiful woman. And we wonder, could this be the next step in the covenant? Could this be Sarah's, the new daughter of the covenant? That's what we're wondering. And the servant wonders this as well. Look at verse 16. Oh, I already said that. Verse 17. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let her down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When he had, she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for the camels also until they finish drinking. Ten camels. They filled her hump with water. That's a lot of water. And she says, I'll fill all of those humps with water. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew all for the camels. The man gazed at her in silence, letting her get all the water for the camels without helping. He said, let, he gazed in silence to learn whether the Lord has prospered his journey or not. The servant who is on a hunt for a bride for the covenant son asked for the sign of hospitality. And here we're told twice, quickly she went to do this. Can you remember someone else who quickly showed hospitality? Abraham in Genesis 18, God comes to him with two servants and Abraham quickly goes to show hospitality. But who else is in the kitchen making haste to bring refreshment? Sarah. Maybe God is progressing his covenant. Perchance. We're wondering, and so is the silent gazing servant. Look at verse 22. When the camels had finished drinking some days later, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. That is, I'm part of Abraham's family. Continuing, she added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord, and he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. The servant is overwhelmed. He asked for God's intervention, and this has just happened so exactly, that the only explanation is the steadfast love of God is at work here. That's what he says. And so he worships. He tells the woman, listen, God brought me to you. That's what I told Kimmy the first time I met her. The Lord has brought me to you. And she said, here I am. And verse 27, it didn't happen quite like that, but Rebecca, she runs home in verse 28. She runs home and she tells her family all of these things. Look at verse 29. 
Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. He's going to be part of Genesis for a couple of chapters. Okay? Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets of his sister's arms, that ring goes in the nose, by the way. So if you've ever had a problem with nose rings, Rebekah wore one. Isn't that interesting? Uh, I don't mean to like condemn you if you have a problem with that. <laughs> and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister. Thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, the servant, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. Laban said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I've prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was sent before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. And Laban said, speak on. Laban, he's compelled by the testimony of Rebekah and all these jewels. And we're going to see Laban has a problem with greed as we move through the story of Genesis. So he's like, okay, this is a cool story, but look at that costly ornaments you're wearing. And so he runs out and he shows extravagant hospitality. Okay, this is no small matter to, to take care of this entourage that's with the servant. But the servant, what I want to point out really particularly is the urgency of the servant. No, 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 no. The food is set, right? And it's getting cold, but he says, no, I have to tell you why I'm here. We have to take care of this. And so everyone who's hungry, they're like, okay, speak on. Tell us. And so the servant goes on. These are the verses I'm going to move past, but we read them. This is the testimony of what we've already read. The servant, he, he testifies to God's steadfast love to bring Rebecca at the specific time in the right moment and, and how it all worked together. And he does it with joy and excitement. He even, you might even say persuasion because he reorders the story. If you pay attention, he might heighten some details over others. But the point is, God has been working in Abraham's life and God is still working. And this woman, she is Isaac's wife. Verse 49, we're skipping there. This is the end of the testimony where the servant says, Now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, that is, if you're going to be, show what God has shown him, tell me. And if not, tell me that I might turn to the right hand or to the left. The servant, he lays it all out. And he says, Do you believe that God is working? The God of heaven and the God of the earth, do you believe my story, my testimony of steadfast love or not? What are you going to do about it? Verse 50, then Laban and Bethuel, this is the only time his name, well, other than I'm the son of, Bethuel speaks at the right moment. And he answered and said, the thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. They, they cannot argue with it. Verse 51, Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. Verse 4, Abraham said, I, I need a bride for my son. Will you go? Verse 10, the servant gets up and goes. And now, in verse 51, the servant has been successful because the Lord has gone before him. And the Bethuel and Laban, they say, Take her and go. It works. The need has been fulfilled. He has a, a wife for Isaac. 
And now we're going to come in and see a third need for the covenant to progress. Not only does this Abraham need a servant to go get a wife, the wife has to be willing to come back. Remember Abraham said if she's not willing? What about Rebecca? Is she willing? Verse 52 into verse 54, the servant worships God. He celebrates with the people. He gives them gifts. And then look at the middle of verse 54. In the ESV it says, when they arose in the morning. Everyone there? The middle of verse 54. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Let's get out and on with it. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. We see this urgency again. God is working and the servant wants to go. He's bringing a bride to the covenant heir. There's no time to waste. But this phrase, at least 10 days, in the Hebrew, it's hard to translate. I've seen some commentators will say it could mean up to 10 years. It's hard to really figure out what is said here. Laban will get a reputation for asking for long commitments, maybe 14 years worth of commitments. But the, the servant's like, no, that's not going to fly. We have to go. My, you don't understand, my master, he's old, well advanced in years. We got to get on the road here. And so they put it to Rebecca. They bring Rebecca in. Is she willing to go, to leave all that she knows, to leave her family, and to trust in the steadfast love of God? Look at verse 57. They said, okay, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. Let, Lord, let Emmaus be filled with godly women who when they hear of your steadfast love and your call on their lives, that they will say, I will go. That's my prayer for you women this morning. The question falls to Rebecca. Abraham had once been called to go, to leave it all behind, and to go to the land of Canaan, and he went. Abraham was called, go to Moriah and sacrifice your son. And Abraham trusted God, and he went. And now Rebekah is called, will you go? Will you leave it all behind and trust in the love of God? And his care for you and his future he has planned for you. Will you do it? And she, hearing the testimony of his love, she says, I want to know this God. I, I want to just give up my life into his care. I will go. This is beautiful. The family sends Rebecca away with blessing. They say, may she have children of thousands and ten thousands. How appropriate for Sarah's daughter-in-law to be blessed, please give her thousands of children because Sarah was promised stars of children. Perhaps this will be a star bearer. Rebecca. Rebecca moves in faith. Look at verse 62 now. And she comes to Isaac. Verse 62. We've skipped the leaving. That's it. Now Isaac had returned from Beheroi 
and was dwelling in the naked. Who was at this well? Bahir Leheroi. When's the last time we heard about this well? We're, I'm not moving on until we figure it out. It wasn't Sarah. Maybe another woman in Abraham's life. What? Hagar. Hagar was here. And she was there in sadness. Remember, she had a child in her womb. She had Abraham's child. And Sarah was harsh to her. And she ran for her life. She thought she was going to die. And then God spoke to her and comforted her. That's what Bahir Laheroi means. It means, I have seen the God who sees me. Isaac goes there. Why? We're going to find out as we progress here, we're, we're getting to the end here, that he is broken up at the loss of his mother. He's so sad and sorrowful and he, he doesn't know how to move forward. That's what we're going to find out. And so he goes to this well where God has seen those in need and where God has spoken, God has provided. Perhaps God will provide comfort to Isaac here. Perhaps that's how the end of the chapter goes. I don't know. Let's keep going. Verse 63. And Isaac went out to meditate. That's an interesting word. Meditate. Think about, let's think about that in a moment. In the field toward the evening, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man? walking in the field to meet us. Please say, that's the guy. The servant said, it's my master. She took her veil and covered herself. Women in Israel, they don't, in this tradition, this Shemite genealogy in nations, they don't wear veils but for their wedding day. Hence why Jacob gets in trouble in the future about veils and things like this. But she covers herself. She is so trusting in God that when she sees the servant from afar, she says, let's do this. I'm willing. It's, beautiful. it's almost romantic, the Hebrew here. He looks up, and the, the Hebrew is as if they both look up. Kimmy, look down. Look down. Now look up at me like that. Like at the same moment, they see one another. And it's just like love at first sight. There it is. Love at first sight. He's out in the field meditating, but the word is hard to translate in Hebrew. Most people think it means something like he, he's just so filled with sadness, he doesn't know what to do. He's wandering around. R. R. Reno, in his commentary, he says, When Rebecca arrives, she finds Isaac at Behir Leheroi, Hagar's well, and he is wandering disconsolate. Not unlike the despairing Hagar. But the brokenhearted Isaac, he lifts up his eyes and he sees this beautiful, hospitable, and faithful Rebecca. And she lifts her eyes and she sees him. Who is that man? And the servant says, This is my master. Look at verse 66. It's all coming together. We're working hard. It's coming together. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. I told you in the beginning, the story is about how God progresses the covenant. 22 times 
We've read the word master already. You've been counting, underlining every time we've read the word master 22 times. Who has the master been every time? Abraham. Now, all of a sudden, the master is Isaac. And then the servant tells who the story? Does he run to Abraham? He tells Isaac. If Rebekah is stepping into Sarah's role so that God can continue his steadfast love to this world, Isaac is taking, assuming Abraham's role in the covenant. Do you see that? The, the covenant will progress. Verse 67. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. God has seen him in his brokenness and comforted him. Rebecca comes to know him as a loving husband. The needs have all been met. Abraham needed to act in faith to secure a wife for his covenant son. The servant needed to go on a wife-seeking journey. And Rebekah needed to come to, by faith to the covenant son. Now it can continue. Children can be born. Blessing can continue. Eventually, God will bring it all to a conclusion. But lest we leave thinking that Abraham, the servant, and Rebekah progressed the covenant for her, let's not forget to notice that this chapter is all about how God progressed the covenant for her. God did all this by his providential guidance. The word Lord, the Lord did this. Lord, help me. Lord, you're going to have to do something. The Lord did it. 18 times we're told that the Lord did something. God orchestrated this event. Abraham acknowledged this will work because who will go before you? The Lord will go before you. The servant asked God to work. The servant confessed the Lord has worked. The servant told those who were asking them to stay, we can't because God is up to something. The story of God's covenant faithfulness will continue. The hope of blessing will go forward through the people of Abraham. Yes, because individuals have been faithful, but more because God has shown steadfast love to his covenant. If the progression of the covenant, the promise of blessing and bringing people back into relationship with God, taking down sin and brokenness and rebellion, if that's going to be accomplished, it's going to happen because God is faithful. Because God is bringing about blessing. There's this important phrase in Abraham's words, don't let Isaac go back there. Don't let Isaac move away from God. Don't let him run from God. Don't let him forget God. Don't let him break fellowship with God. Don't let him go to Haran. And here in the story, Isaac, he stays in Canaan. It's beautiful. But as the nations grow, they get into this habit, Israel, of going back there. In fact, Israel's enslaved in Egypt. They're oppressed there. And God acts in a... We're studying Exodus next. I'm not sure if that's true. But God acts in a mighty way. And he rescues them. And guess what they do? The first sign of trouble. Moses, please let us go back there. Back to Egypt. Back before God rescued us and called us out. Let us go back there. And the story of Israel is just falling back into idol worship falling back into faithlessness over and over. But 
Someone is faithful. God. And he keeps progressing the covenant forward. But the story's not just about Israel. Abraham called his God the God of heaven and the God of the earth because Abraham knew something cosmological was happening through his family. That means blessing was going to come from his family to all people because of God's steadfast love. See, we commit the mistake of going back there. God has called us out of this world and into his glorious light and life. He has sent us on mission into this world to proclaim Jesus. He's called us to live out faithfulness, but we struggle at times. And we go back. Back to the sin that had entangled us. Back to the sin that had killed us. Back into brokenness and rebellion. We struggle to go back. But listen, the covenant, our belonging in God's family, listen, it doesn't depend on your ability to resist going back there. Your place in God's family depends on God's steadfast love to redeem you from going back there. St. Ambrose, the Bishop of Milan in the 300s, he preached a sermon entitled Isaac or the Soul, and it was on all 67 verses of Genesis 24. And here he helped the church understand how the story is about the steadfast love of God in Jesus Christ. St. Ambrose pointed out the truth that God fulfilled all of the covenant promises to Abraham in the person of Jesus Christ, who was both, listen, faithful servant and covenant son. Do you hear me? Jesus is both faithful servant and covenant son. For God to fulfill his covenant, to progress it to completion, our turning from God, our going back, our sin needed to be canceled. Our sinfulness and transgressions needed to be blotted out. And so God, who is the covenant keeper, he sent his servant, Jesus Christ, on a bride rescuing mission. And Jesus, who said, I have not come to be served, but to serve, he came into this world filled with all the back there's, all the sinfulness, all the brokenness, all the rebellion. Jesus came in as the faithful servant, and he went to the end, trusting in God's providence, asking for the Father to work, and waiting for the Father to work. And John, Jesus said, I don't do anything unless the Father does something. And he was the faithful servant who went all the way to the end to the bride. And he saw her in her, not like Rebecca, he saw her in her faithlessness, her brokenness, her rebellion. And he said, you know what? I will give my life to save this bride, to make her my own, to redeem her from her fall. And so Jesus goes to the cross as the servant of God to keep covenant and shed his blood. But Jesus is also the covenant son. He's the groom, the Isaac. And we come to know him as Rebecca came to know Isaac. We come to know Jesus by faith, saying, I will trust it all to God. I will trust in his steadfast love over me and his work and Jesus Christ. And Jesus purifies his bride by his blood and he draws her to himself. Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing of the water with his word so that he might present the church to himself 
in splendor, without spot or blemish. The story of Genesis prepares us to see the steadfast love of God and Jesus Christ, but it also teaches us that God is responsible. His faithfulness is what progresses the covenant forward. And you know, one minute left. I know, church, this is a long Sunday. We're going to say the Ashtonacer's Creed after this. It's going to get longer. But listen to this. The old covenant has been fulfilled totally, completely. There is a new covenant that we live in a covenant of grace, a covenant of faithfulness, that God redeems us just by faith in his son Jesus. And that covenant is now going out. It's going out in our lives as we minister to our children and to our neighbors the loving message of Jesus Christ. But we're not alone. God's providential guidance has come, not by sending a woman who will feed our camels, but by sending us his very presence his very power, the Holy Spirit into our lives. That confirms that God has shown steadfast love to us and that he will show steadfast love to us, keeping us in his covenant forever and helping us share the good news of his steadfast love in Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.